0: Hi guys, Stephen here, this is just a quick heads up uh, before this episode just to make you aware there are a couple of spoilers one of them is the final episode of Game of Thrones Fran sort of chucks in very casually a spoiler for anyone who's making their way through that series or thinks they may watch it soon, just beware uh, maybe this might not be the best episode to listen to at this point point. and also kind of a Stranger Things season 4 end of uh, uh, season spoiler, it's not obvious, it's more subtle, but again something to tread lightly on and as well as that there's also during the darkest hour discussion a mention of the queen now just to make you aware this episode was recorded a month ago before her majesty passed away so just to give you a bit of context as to to why it's brought up in sort of present tense and with that enjoy the episode thanks guys bye bye And welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for another thrilling, tantalizing catch up of what's been happening in our world in film in the last month since our previous catch up. Joining me on this podcast, Steve McCall. A very good afternoon to you both. And Francis Murphy. Yo yo yo! Just the three of us, fellas. This is uh, so possibly going to be shorter, just because usually with more people we go longer. So let's aim for that hour and a half, eh? Let's. That's the target. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So guys, you know, we know the score now. We've been doing these uh, for the last couple of months. Catch up on our recent films, television, and anything from the uh from the past as well that we've caught in the uh the look back section. Uh Fran, we'll start with you. You've now seen we've I think I've spoke we've maybe spoke on a one or two of the podcasts, Top Gun Maverick. I think Gordon previously reviewed it. You now want to, to weigh in on this one. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think
0: it was one of the best Star Wars films I ever saw.
1: Oh, um,
0: interesting. <laughs> <I> didn't now <laughs> that going that way.
1: <laughs> it is a Star Wars film. It is um all about um don't think, just do, use the force look um It's a bunch of fighter pilots going down a trench into an enemy base to destroy a target that's only a few feet across. um
0: Is there a better fe- cantina song?
1: Well, they've got the bar with them all playing the piano and singing. I mean, it is literally beat for beat. <laughs> okay, <laughs> a Star Wars: A New Hope. You know, it's got a little bit of Empire Strikes Back in there as well. But it's definitely. I mean, it's more. It's the hero's journey. I mean, it's it's that uh, Joseph Campbell whole kind of hero's journey thing. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's where the similarity to Star Wars comes in. But it is a—I thought it was a—I thought it was a fantastic film.
0: Okay, yeah, it's it has got the, good praise, is not it? This is so it—it it matches what uh, critics and audiences are saying. Then you think,
1: yeah, and you know <clears throat> what I thought it did really well was it—it it had it—it it explored flaws in the the protagonist. You know. Um, uh making bad making bad judgments or, or mistakes that drove a wedge in interpersonal relationships and things. You know what I mean? It, it was it was it sort of it did it like for instance, the last Jedi got a lot of criticism for tearing apart Luke Skywalker and all that kind of thing and subverting expectations. But Maverick actually managed to do that with the established characters without making them look like pathetic losers that had no redemption whatsoever or the redemption was hollow in, in other films, whereas in this it was very much a case of uh, you you could have the new generation taken over, but also the previous generation managing to redeem themselves as well. It was, it was. I thought it was a very mature film in some ways, and then in other ways it was just a ridiculous action film. I mean, it was it, was, it felt like an 80s movie with a little bit of 21st century garnish do you know what I mean? It, it had this it, it had the maturity sort of layered lightly on top so it was great. I thought it was a fantastic film Excellent, yeah. I mean, I was supposed
0: to go and see it, but I watched the original Top Gun for the first time and it did kind of sour me because i i do think that's overrated i thought i talked about it in the previous podcast um so yeah i really should watch it because i i am you know i'm hearing very good things about it so it shouldn't have put me off so
1: yeah But interestingly enough i think watching it because i watched the original and went back obviously watched that and then went back to look at the original again and it actually adds layers to the original mm-hmm. in a way um I suppose, in a kind of metaphysical sense, time does not travel in one direction, you know? So uh, you go back and you look at it and you think, hmm, actually, the the two of them together, there is a sort of a, I don't know, complementary, what's the word, symbiotic thing going on. But I suppose as well, I mean, I should point out, you know, what's really intriguing is looking at Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise and how both have aged differently because of illnesses and things like that. So Val Kilmer appears in the film not very well. Yeah. Um. And then you've got, and he hasn't been well in real life. He's had throat cancer, I think it was. And then you've got Tom Cruise, who has aged extremely well. But they're there together, and it's that sort of interest in, like, kind of holding a holding the mirror up there with these two actors that were peers and are peers, but have aged very differently and had very different health circumstances throughout their
0: lives. Yeah. Uh, What would you give this film? I can't remember what Gordon gave it. I want to say a four or a four and a half or something. What was your uh? Your thoughts on what? Just what? Just star rate this
1: one? I'd probably give it a. I don't know. I'd probably give it a four and a half. I think because I mean there were a couple of bits where I was like, "Oh, some wee bit cliche" or a little bit too self-referential, like kind of broke the fourth wall a wee bit. Where you're like, hmm, "Hang on a minute." And there was, a, there was some scenes where there was texting going on and it was a bit like watching EastEnders, like people texting each other. And I was a bit like, mm, this is a bit cringy. So I would take that half a star off for that. But yeah, it was pretty damn good.
0: Okay. Well, uh, the film that uh, I have seen, or I've seen two films. Uh, the first one I'll uh, talk about is Nope. Uh, this is the third film directed, written, and I think co-produced by Jordan Peele. You guys may be familiar with Get Out. Have you you've seen that? That's his first one. Do you know I think I have. Remind me. Uh it's a horror film. Um Daniel Kaluuya also starred in that. He's also in this film. Uh is the main lead.
1: Oh yeah. Hang on. Is this where the black
0: people get taken away to the Yeah, it's dealing with racism and essentially uh-huh. um it so was. essentially being introduced to her family. They're a white family. He's black. She hasn't told her family, I think. If I'm remembering it correctly, that he uh, is black, and it's it's a very strange, it's an interesting, subtle film that it deals with the the types of ignorance that can happen when uh, you know these upper class white people are are then speaking to someone who is black and that sort of it really showcases that. that sort of ignorance. But the film has other things going on without (laughs) we'll just leave it at
1: that it's a fantastic film i I, I would i I don't know i will say i watched it oh i was i found it to be sort of i mean the memories are flooding back now like i I found it to be i mean I, i do agree with you the comment, like the kind of social commentary aspect of it was there for sure but i found like some of the twisty bits to be just outrageously unbelievable like i just could not It kind of broke my suspension of disbelief at a certain point. But then again, I enjoyed it anyway. Like I I thought it was wild, you know, but I I feel like I suppose my hot take on it would be that the, the wild twists in the film kind of minimized the social commentary aspect. Possibly. that was there. Well, anyways, that's not the
0: film that obviously I've seen recently and the third film is Nope, but, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed Get Out, so I do have a high... Well, I, I didn't see Us, the, the second film he did, but I also heard it did pretty well, maybe not quite as well as uh, Get Out and the sort of um, critics and uh, audience opinions, but it was still seen, I think, as a, as a general success and obviously he's now lauded as one of the kind of modern, great film directors. He's obviously... Previously been and I think it was a comedy. Uh, Key and Peel is it Jordan? Uh, sorry, Jordan. Uh, Jordan Peel and is it Michael Keegan Key? <laughs> Did Are you it really it?
2: say
1: Jordan Pearson?
0: No, no. Because it's uh, <laughs> Jordan. I'm talking about Jordan Peel. It's Jordan Peel and, and Michael Keegan Key. Uh, they were, I think, a comedy act, and they both went their separate ways with directing and things like that. um so yeah, but anyway,s Jordan Peele, as I you know, I have high expectations with this film, there, and um, I would say in some ways it it, it, ma- it matched, but um, this one was a bit of a mixed viewing for me. The spectacle of the film and the strangeness of it, I quite applaud. There is it's a it's a very very odd film, very quite original, but it really doesn't all it doesn't all work for me. Um, without giving too much away, it's a it's a sort of neo kind of science fiction kind of half western horror film so it's a kind of mixing of genre and there's an intensity about it and a sort of a a very oddball drama feeling to it like there's so i'll I'll kind of set it up really it's um daniel kaluuya and his sister uh played by keke palmer uh they're without. Sort of giving away something that happens at the start. They're sort of struggling, um, uh, to kind of look after They've got a company. They live out in a sort of a ranch, uh, and they are horse trainers for films. Uh, so they're on film sets and they're trying to like, uh, they're they're kind of you know, looking after the, the horse and training the actors and things like that. So the the film deals with a little, some of the themes from things like Get Out, there's, a, there's that kind of, there's an element of re- race relations in this one as well. Certainly not as heavy in this film, but certainly at the start, there is moments of it. Uh, there's some so- social commentary, which is interesting. And then the plot kind of kicks in. And it's it's hard to talk about because you don't really want to give away a lot. Um, so because that's some of its appeal is really in the just the strangeness and the the check kind of trying to work out what is happening. But I can probably safely say I think that it is kind of a a UFO type film. That's kind of the main thing that's going on. I think that was in the trailer. I don't think that's a spoiler, but I'll leave it at that. So it's weird and it's a little challenging there's a subplot that i don't think really connected very well with the film um with to do with animals there's a scene that it kind of like goes back to the past and it shows you this well it, it hints at something that awful that tragic that's happened and then it eventually reveals more of it and it's a, it's a really fantastic section but it doesn't Quite, I don't think it connects very well. You don't know why it's actually in the film, um, so it's just it's just strange. Um, overall, I would give it a free, and say that it's a film for people who certainly like Jordan Peele's stuff, but also can kind of there's a, there's a patience required, I think, for this. And it would certainly put a lot of people off, I think, because it is very, almost confusing. There's a lot of times you're like, what is happening here? <laughs> um, so I don't know how that sounds to you, guys. Does uh, it
2: require knowledge of the previous two films? No, no. It's, it's, so it's, it's not it's, uh, it's
0: not like a connected universe, truque, I don't uh, think. It's, right, it's, it's, it's just, just a, its own story. Yeah. But the themes that he deals with, you know, race relations and things like that... Um, that kind of no, stuff. It's kind of
1: like Quentin Tarantino's films, where he's like, they're not all part of the same universe, but they're they're like a set of films by a director. Yeah, like a he has similar. A, feel. He's clearly got a yeah.
0: strong directorial sense. Like he he has the the cinematography that, so the the craft on display. I, I enjoy. I think some of the cinematography was great, and the, the the music and things like that all work. There is there's definitely some great moments. Like there's some really awe kind of inspiring. Um, sort of sections that set pieces but it doesn't all tie together very well i would say um i didn't come out thinking i want to tell everyone to go see this film there was moments of just like hmm some of it actually at points actually did bore me a little as well so it's it's definitely not the film i mean i'm looking online and it seems to be getting a lot of praise from critics for mostly being you know a success so it's obviously a kind of you know i might be on the like i i think it's down to some you know i don't know i'm no, no, no tolerance for weirdness well i'm i'm suspicious like of
1: critics nowadays because I, I often feel that mainstream critics are judging films not solely on the film but on who made it and what what kind of messaging is in there so you tend to find that some films will get lower scores because they're not maybe as avant-garde and then you'll get films that will get higher scores because. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, it, like it's like the theatre reviews, like, that, you'll get crappy, weird theatre plays, you know, that will come out that nobody understands and they get rave reviews because they're daring. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because they're I,
2: different, not th- because they're good. That's
0: kind of maybe a little how I feel about this film that there's, there's a boldness to it, there's a, you know, a, a ambition, maybe, but not. I don't think it's Matt, like it's quite met like the ambition, but you know, uh-huh. there is something there is something to be to be said for when in a time when people do complain about the sort of um factory run of Marvel films and a sort of formula that's set in when you've got directors who are setting up whole new stories, whole new kind of characters and, and things and vibes and genres and mixing of genres and stuff like that. You know, there is an element of appreciation for just trying something. So that can be appreciated, but you know, in the end, I was a little perplexed by it, and points just not didn't click with me fully. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, three stars I would give that, and that's mostly for things. I mean, the performances are mostly good. I like, I really like Daniel Kaluuya, um, and in the general the cast, there's a couple of characters actually that um, uh, who was the actor that uh, Michael Wincott? Uh, he's I've only seen him in Alien Resurrection. He has a really deep voice. If you've ever seen Alien Resurrection, it's 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 comically gruff, like and it almost is hard to take him seriously in this film because it's that same voice. As soon as I heard him, I was like, I know that you know, from that one film that I've seen him in. Um and he's in this, he's playing a sort of cinematographer that they they try and use to capture what they're seeing, so, and it's just a little over the top, so, but anyways <laughs> that's his voice, so maybe that's a bit harsh, but, um, yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's it's a fine watch, certainly, uh, it's not an easy watch in the sense of, yeah, it's a wee Friday night, brain dead, look, put a film on, you know, <laughs> you kind of really have to... It requires
1: a thought Yeah.
2: You know, i tell you what, by the way, I got
1: did I just disappear in the middle
2: of my statement or something? Because my internet just, uh, you weren't I... making a statement, man. You were... Um, you just disappeared. I
1: oh, what you it saying? was... I was about... I, I genuinely started talking and then I was like, hang
2: on a minute.
1: <laughs> it's all gone. Oh, I mean, well, I, I, we've,
2: we've obviously missed something um, Yeah,
0: I, I probably apparent. was talking and you've just got out but you didn't realise I was talking. Yeah.
1: saying? Well, it was just something about um, not being so sure about reviews nowadays. Like, I don't oh, really well, pay to hear much. that. Yeah. We got that bit, yeah. Yeah. Um I think I was kind of got into the idea that you'll get a lot of folk that will review like they nowadays you get people that will, a lot of reviewers will say, Oh, this is great simply because it's a little bit daring or avant garde and then you'll get other films that are pretty good that, that
0: you know I mean, Oh yeah, we did yeah, you did this so yeah. I must have just started sort of talking idea. and you must have got cut off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah. I can partly agree. I mean in the end I think a film critic is just like us. We're doing what a film critic does, we are giving opinion. Um, and that's what they
1: do. Well, that, that's why. That's why I think the see the the group dynamics always quite good for for talking about a film because you get the different perspectives. So you know, I I don't tend to read film reviews too much. In fact, I'll I'll actually watch people talk about films far more than hmm. than a singular review. And um, in fact, I I do find things like Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes quite handy for looking at the audience scores. Because you get a really good idea of what, uh, how the audience is responding to a film, kind of. But I'd
0: also, I'm skeptical. I, I hate the reliance on that stuff, but also um, when people like view uh, bomb it, you know, that kind of like review bomb it type thing. Just because be there's yeah. like, like if they don't, if, if there's an agenda, they think, or it can be, it can be used by the wrong people. I think so. It, there's definitely a, a glance you know, you can see if there's how many people have voted for it, fair enough, then that obviously says something, but sometimes it can be over uh, overused or even by the wrong people. But anyways, uh, yeah, so nope, three stars. Overall it's a, just a qualified recommendation. If that any of that interests you, the, the weirdness and uh, the slight originality to it, then I would I would suggest you might want to give it a go. But it's also not a definite must see film, I don't think. So the other film uh, to talk about that I've seen to to round up this section of the new films in cinemas or or streaming uh, screens is Day Shift. Now, I think Scott was probably going to be talking about this as well because I think he said he'd seen this, but obviously, and I just watched it yesterday. Um, it's on Netflix, and it's a Netflix original, and it stars Jamie Foxx as your lead in this In fact, before I go into it, have any of you heard of this film? Or know anything about it? I have not. I'm just looking it up now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't heard of it, though, no. Okay, so it's a director, J.J. J. Perry. I'm not familiar with J.J. Uh, J. Perry. The film essentially... Sort of my gathering of from watching it is a kind of mixture between Ellie Confidential meets Blade with the style and choreography and action chops of the John Wick films. That I think I'm sure that uh, Chad Stahelski produced it, who did the John Wick films. They're the stuntmen turned directors, and so they I think have produced this film. So there is, you can see even the, the look of the font and things. There's a kind of slick style to this film that you could see if you've seen the John Wick films, especially the second and third. So the, the action scenes, first of all, you know, they're pretty awesome. There's some great stuff in here. For anyone who likes their um, really slick brutal action, this film starts with a pretty uh, ridiculous, comically brutal uh, fight s- uh, set piece which I really enjoyed. And then you know, it's peppered with where i don't think it works some buddy cop style comedy and it's a bit i don't know some of it just was a bit lazy or just uninspired you know it's going for uh it's it's a light comedy i mean it's light comedy this isn't like a serious film this film's just meant to be the exact opposite of nope i would say this film <laughs> could be watched in a sort of chilling out having a dinner on a friday and put this on you've kind of seen a lot of the tropes before um the sort of divorced dad and the son and and the, and the wife uh or the sort of the, i think it's this little girl actually and his wife are about to be moving state because you know they can't afford to stay in the nice school and he's got seven days to change her mind and get some money and take up the job that, he, that, that essentially a
1: police it sounds like a, it sounds like a lot of different films all in one yeah doesn't yeah it? it's like a buddy cop film where
0: essentially these are like Police officer vampire hunter types. He worked for this company and he was the rogue one. And he, you know, he didn't, his boss must have fired him. So he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a, a fuck up in some ways. And obviously he's trying to earn the job to get the money and, and Snoop Dogs in it. And he's kind of a, a legend in the, in the, in that kind of game. Um, he's actually quite funny in it. And, yeah, there's a few cameos. Peter Stormare is in this film. I always enjoy Peter Stormare. Uh, he's got a sort of one or two scenes and a few other people. But yeah, so the film is. Some cool action scenes, some. Redu- Dave Franco is in this, kind of the, is the, is the buddy that's paired up with, uh, Jamie Foxx. So, um, but anyways, Dave Franco is, is good in this and the, the chemistry is mostly there. There's a couple of moments they're riffing, they're mentioning other films and other franchises. I think like the Twilight films and things like that. It's, I wasn't laughing through most of it, but, uh, I think maybe some people might find it charming. And yeah, so it's just, it's, you know, I wouldn't say this was an amazing film or awful. Again, it's I would give this a three stars purely for there's some great uh, soundtrack to this film, like the the sort of licensed music that comes in at points. There's uh, some good hip hop stuff that I enjoyed uh, a lot. Of, just a lot of style to it. You could just tell that that's where. The John Wick kind of producers probably have a have, have, have their kind of fingerprints over it. Um and Jamie Foxx. Yeah, I like Jamie Foxx. Like he's he's a good lead. So it's you know, it's cool. The, the the thing I would say though about this film is despite all of its light, kind of just casual, fun humor, there's a deep lore to this that I think might be a little much. Like there's it's trying to set up clearly a world maybe for multiple films, which is where I'm a cynical kind of head comes in and it's like ah uh, anyway, there's no like obvious end bit where it's clearly it's going to be but they could easily have a second film with all the lore they've set up there's multiple types of vampires the uber vamp and the spider vamp and the the uv vamp, vamp which is some person that's been murdered by a child and they develop differently or something and there's multiple ways to kill them and beheadings and all this kind of stuff it's like you know if you've watched Buffy there's obviously a lot of lore to that but a lot of that is introduced over a full season whereas this is a you know, a two-hour film or less than that. Like it's, it feels like a lot to try and I don't know. Somehow it seemed a little convoluted. Maybe they maybe tried a bit too much, but uh, maybe it, there could be a payoff if they do get multiple films. Then this could be seen as a kind of cool way to have introduced elements of it in the very first film. So that's a wait and see. But overall, as a film, it's a three stars for me. Uh, it's a fun film to watch, uh, but nothing that's gonna th- not 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 too original. I would say. So three stars for day shift on Netflix. If you want to watch that, okay. Let's move on to the TV series stuff. Um, I'll start on this one. Uh, I watched Trainwreck Woodstock '99. So, did any of you guys catch this? I don't think you've seen it. I
2: am desperate to watch this. This sounds. I've heard. All about the yeah. the lore of Woodstock '99 and what an absolute train wreck it was, and how it was all Fred Durst's fault, <laughs> apparently. Well, uh, that's yeah. Really looking forward to this.
0: So Limp Biscuit, like obviously I was a huge Limp Biscuit fan and became a Corn fan as well. So they obviously, you know, I didn't know about Woodstock '99 because I didn't really get into them until two thousand and one two thousand. Uh, they'd already used all of the infamy and all of the, the sort of bad press in their videos preceding or sort of succeeding this concert because they, they kind of used clippings of, uh, I think, news reports and stuff like that from uh, the mainstream media in their videos because they, so there was the significant other videos um, for like Nuke Break Stuff, and the other rearranged. There was an actual story like Fred Dursk gets arrested in Nuki and then and rearranged. He's they're in jail and it's because of they're at court because of all the, the riots and things like that. They actually used that <laughs> to so it's a little uh you know, looking back, that actually maybe maybe not the best, but you know, this this I won't go into too much. This is some cool stuff, but the main thing that you take away from this is just this is the organizers. There's two main men that organise this and it just shows you what they, the bad planning can do. This is a shit show to use that expression from the very beginning. It is an absolute disaster. And I think the same guy, Michael Lang, had he arranged Woodstock '69, uh, and I think they thought, well, he'll be fantastic for the for '99. He pushed for it, and. A different time period. 99 nine was such a different time period from 69. The main mainstream acts, music had changed to become more aggressive. Uh, the new metal scene was in full force at this point. Um, and they ha- they took on those bands, mostly. There's obviously other bands. There's Red Hot Chili Peppers and Wyclef John and things like that. So there was a mixture of stuff. But the ones that were blamed were uh, the new metal stuff. And, yeah, well, it, it, it shows you the diff- that like sort of capitalism in full force making people pay insane amounts of money for water when it was a scorching like uh weekend but also the location was poor it was on like a an air force base so it was like hot tarmac all these things i won't go into it because it's fun to to see all the different elements that make up how badly they planned this and you feel bad for the the team because it does show a lot of their meetings and things like that and they sound like they had good intentions, and they wanted to do a lot of great stuff, but it was the main decisions by cost-cutting and profit, you know, trying to marginalise as much profit as they could out of things, Uh, and they they made some awful, awful decisions to, uh, kind of, in some ways, quite tragic um, outcomes, but, you know, as a three episode series, like, it's it's really engaging, and it was fun to see that period, kind of repackaged, you know, sort sort of, like, seeing it in that way, like, how times have changed and you can look back at it, being a fan of some of the music. Um, so, yeah, definitely, I would I would give that... I'd maybe give that... If I'm giving it a rating, I'd give it a five, because I really loved it. It's only three episodes, so it's a strange thing, but it'd be five for me on that. It's, it's a definite recommendation for anyone who likes music, anyone who likes music documentaries uh, and things like that. So...
2: Yep. Did you watch the Fire Festival documentary? Yes. Or is it is it kind of in a similar vein? Is it made in the sort of same kind of way? I those,
0: suppose actually. Yes. Sort of yeah. Talking to people, into cutting yeah. clips of yeah, talking heads. What it was like, and then it's yeah, showing you the footage. There's a lot. Of, like, it, what amazes me is how much. You know, planning meetings are recorded and all these things like that's these documentaries live and die by the footage that you can get. And they've got, they've obviously did so much work to get everyone fans, obviously, people that attended the, they've sent, they've obviously appealed to everyone to get all of their, their clips. Um, but also the actual, like the, the, the the heads of each department would have meetings and they've got like their scouting locations and things like that. And it's, you know, all of this is on video, which I wouldn't think if I was in a job too. Video that maybe that's another thing. I'm just I wouldn't know that.
2: But I was going to say that sounds because I'm presumably these meetings will have taken place in kind of what 98 ish if they yeah, were planning this for ninety nine.
0: Yeah, so probably yeah late ninety eight into early ninety nine when they're planning it sort so, of thing. So. It's not like
2: the video technology was as easy to get a hold of as you know when we I guess someone sent up their phone. You'd have to mm-hmm. get a proper video camera. Yeah. So yeah, do they do they explain why they filmed their planning meetings? Were they expecting? Mm-hmm. I know, to like need to, evidence to, for to, something, because it yeah. suggests that.
0: I, I, I actually don't. I don't think they do. I don't think <laughs> they do, other than maybe. No, I don't. I, I can't think even why they would. Like, and that's why I'm all. That's the thought that always runs through my head. Like some of these Netflix documentaries, you know, like the staircase murder thing and all of the footage that they've got yeah. and all of their meetings with lawyers and things like that. It's like, you know, and break and um making a murderer is another uh, famous example. of just a, so much content out of all this. Filmed footage that you know—that's what makes or breaks a story and, and getting made into a documentary. So it's it's, it's definitely intriguing, and it, but it obviously is—it makes really compelling watching, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, with Trainwreck, Woodstock '99, I thoroughly recommend. I, w- I would give it the five stars. And let's move on, Steve. We're we'll just talking to you. Let's what uh, what's dope sick then?
2: Cool. So yeah, this is an eight-part series on Disney Plus. And basically, it's a dramatization of the true story of a pharmaceutical company in America that in the mid 90s released a a painkiller that they marketed as a non addictive opioid. Um, And what this drug did was um, it was sold to sort of doctors. They tested it in small, sort of very rural, small town what would be sort of derogatory, I suppose, described as sort of hillbilly towns first to test it out. And essentially what happens is it was way more addictive than they advertised, but they kept plowing money into it. People got addicted. And you see this story from pretty much every perspective. So it skips around time a lot. It takes place kind of between the pharmaceutical company releasing the drug in about 1996, right up until I think 2012, which was the main court case if you like the makers of the drug or some of the representatives of the pharmaceutical company were eventually dragged in front of a judge um, and judgments were made on it but you see the story from the perspective of the pharmaceutical company who are sort of hatching this evil plan to market this drug that they legitimately believe in but everything is so twisted they've managed to sort of twist the promotion no materials and the sort of the government agencies that um, allow the drug to be made available to the public the amount they sort of twist and plow yeah. money into and bribe people and stuff and then you've got the, the small town sort of doctors so you've got Michael Keaton who plays a small town doctor who um
1: he's great now is that Michael Keaton as in Spinal Tap and um, I don't know that, as also? In Michael Keaton
0: is Michael Keaton Batman Batman Batman, oh,
1: Batman. Beetlejuice. yes, <laughs> I was wondering that yeah <laughs> No, no, I'm um, getting I'm getting mixed up with somebody else. Oh yeah, 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 I get you now.
2: <laughs> so yeah, Michael Keaton from uh not Buster Keaton or anyone else like that <laughs> is a small town doctor who is sold the drug, he prescribes it completely innocently to some of his patients who then get hooked. He then ends up in a situation where he requires painkillers, he ends up taking it, he ends up getting hooked. Um, you see the sort of families, you also see the um sort of, not police, the sort of government agents from, they. It, I needed a kind of crash course in American justice to work this out because you've got the, the investigation is done by, they're kind of equivalent at the Department of Justice, so they're not police officers, but they have the power to pull people in companies, I presume corporations, in front of a judge or what's known it's as like a, a, grand, a... It's
1: like a more federal... Federal base, doesn't it? Yes, so it's exactly. Not state, it's not. be the, the 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 central government rather than the state.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's like the the individual states themselves, as opposed to the yeah. So um, yeah. So you you see them investigating the company. You've got the sort of woman from the drug agency who's desperately trying to chase down these these um drug company, but no one will either. No one will listen to her, or they're so sort of being bunged by the drug companies that um nothing's actually getting done because they're obviously in the, the pockets of these uh companies. But it's a sort of it's actually it's a it's an absolutely fantastic, really compelling, really well made drama series. You, do, you know, do you
1: know what's really scary these days, Steve, is that see that lady that was trying to chase down that company, see nowadays, if she posted th- things on Twitter, she would have been banned. Right? Because she would have been silenced. They would have said, no, 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 Everybody says this is okay. You know, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah.
2: These companies, in this case, would have hired, you know, an army of Russian bots to kind of yeah. bomb her with abuse the sil- and then drown sil- her out. Yeah, exactly. So it's incredible all this stuff it is You know what, Steve? It was really, yeah.
1: I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's just That's out, right. such a personal connection with this because, um I mean, one of my ex-girlfriends lived in Missouri and she um her family um, got addicted to opiates and there was Oxycontin going around all over the place there at the time. Now, um, what I was given, I don't think was that because I, I was talking earlier on about when I went to the dentists in 2010 when I was there and I was given something. But it was a super strength opiate, whatever it was. And I genuinely, when I came back to the UK, I was down for a long time. Like it does things to your brain, this stuff.
2: The withdrawal symptoms—they go into that a lot—a huge deal of it is the—and these are people that were subscribed. To these the the problem with this drug in particular, this drug OxyContin, is that because it was being marketed as a non-addictive opioid, the sales reps—that's the other group you see—the the sales reps who were brought in and trained to go out to these sort of rural doctors and sell, because the way obviously it works in America, they don't have a national health service. The doctors decide what drugs they buy to give to their patients and these drug these um reps were sent out with all this propaganda and told you know you don't want um the uh is it vicodin the one that was being used Um, no no you want to use this opioid Mm -hmm. and it was being um prescribed for you know toothache back problems headaches that's exactly exactly
1: Exactly what it is, and and you know, the, the, I actually feel bad for the salespeople because you know, as much as they were selling it, they probably weren't fully aware of what, in some cases, they were doing. I'd imagine the documentary must have covered that.
2: Yeah, well, you've got it. Does it kind of follows the there's two sales reps, one who starts to kind of gain a conscience, because he he befriends uh michael keaton's character and gets really sort of worried about because he his his job is to sell this drug to this doctor and get as much money as possible And these guys were on massive bonuses they were being effectively paid um per milligram they managed to sell to the doctor and they started selling the company were making despite the fact that this drug was so strong and so dangerous they were bringing out it started as 10 and 20 and 40 milligrams then they brought out an 80 then they brought out a 160 milligram pill and these guys were making an absolute fortune so it follows one sales rep who is. Making a fortune, but then grows a conscience and starts to kind of become disaffected and sort of jaded by it all. And uh, what happens to him? And then you've got the girl who is really into it. It's like, I don't care what this is doing. I'm making an absolute killing here. I'm just going to keep pounding this stuff on people and damn the consequences. And that kind of, the, you've got this sort of battle between the two of them who are kind of, there's also there's a love story between the two of them as well, but they're also obviously fighting over their consciences which um adds an extra extra dimension to the whole thing. Um he's played by a British actor who I recognized in from a few things his name escapes me who I will look up. But um the way the way I mean the way it's put together it skips time a lot but the way it does it it doesn't feel too confusing there are some films or TV series where there 's a lot of time shifting and they 're skipping from you know year to year, and you start to get confused about where you are and when, but this somehow manages to bridge that really easily. And at no point are you really confused. You're always kind of aware of what's happening at any particular time. And the range of emotions that you go through and, you know, central characters, the horrible stuff that happens to them, and then you've got the sort of redemption at the end. It's an absolute roller coaster. But it's it's such a great series. It's one of it's pro it's one of the it's definitely one of the highest rated series, I think, on Disney Plus. It's had a lot of um good feedback, I think. What would you uh, give this? I'd give this a five yep. easily. Fantastic. Would well recommend it. Okay. I definitely And choose- you know,
1: I'm not I'm not the world's biggest fan of Disney as a conglomerate, but it is good that they're they're putting the word out about things like this. But I can tell you this right now, in five years' time they'll be doing documentaries about some things that we're having at the moment. I genuinely believe that. I genuinely I will say I believe that a hundred percent because at the time when I was with to- like with what I went through with that painkiller and um People I spoke to at the time, you know, that was all. Oh no, 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 no. Oh, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Everything's fine. And then time goes by; it's an inevitability. The truth will out eventually. Yeah,
2: and I hate giving Disney credit for this actually, because what they've done is 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 the uh, Dope sick is part of Star Plus, which is the sort of group that Disney have obviously bought yeah. over and put on Disney Plus, and they are releasing these incredible dramas in the same way that they've got they've obviously got National Geographic. Who have got some really, really good documentary series? Uh, oh, yeah, and everyone will say, "Oh, it's uh-huh. on Disney Plus," and it's not. It's National Geographic. Who are, by the way, have you? Well, have, have, watched, um, have
1: you watched the uh, For All Mankind yet on on Disney Plus?
2: No, 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 no. Yet.
1: It's Apple. No, sorry, it's Apple TV. Uh, um, I'm sorry, when I think Star provides it to Apple TV. So I don't know if it's on Disney Plus as well, but I'd highly recommend watching that as well actually okay um uh, so there you go
0: <laughs> so five
1: stars for dope
0: sick that's definitely a must watch i'm adding that to my list of things i need to see definitely i'm uh,
1: gonna watch it as well yeah sounds
0: incredible uh okay I- i'm a huge michael keaton fan so you had me there anyway um fran tell us about tales of the walking dead then is this okay is it uh so t- how many <clears throat> is it a series of, what have you watched is it a full season type thing
1: um yeah i've watched well no it's it's coming out episode by episode so i've watched um the first two episodes of it so far uh, and what it is is it's an anthology series set in the walking dead universe so each episode it's not like obviously it's not like a serialized thing where you're watching every episode and yeah, a, the follow, same a, characters.
0: a connecting story type thing
1: <laughs> yeah so uh, each episode is its own thing with its own characters and i think it's great so far uh you know, the the first episode was kind of had a a little bit of a love story comedy aspect to it in the midst of this zombie apocalypse, and then the second episode had a sort of paranormal time travel story. Wow. It was absolutely it was absolutely wild. And uh you know, they've got some great, you know, talent coming in. He, you know, they had Terry Cruz in the first episode. Um Hang Which on, great.
0: time travel in The Walking Dead? Does it feel uh-huh. yeah. incongruous to what you're
1: familiar with? I mean, I only watched the not first re- four seasons well, of The Walking Dead, so unless there is some not sort Not of really, be- of Well, I suppose The Walking Dead universe is so broad anyway. I mean, it's one of those things where The Walking Dead universe has had... In fact, I've watched the first three episodes, I tell a lie. Um, the third episode was going back to a character that was in the that group of folk that put zombie masks on. Can't remember what they were called, but uh, it showed you the kind of origin story of one of them. But the um, it was very much like the, the Walking Dead has had elements of paranormal right, stuff. Right? Maybe I've just before.
0: I mean the zombies are a, a pretty out there well, thing. It's not like they, it's they, that they, you know the most grounded of things. But uh, time travel seems uh, like uh-huh. a bit of a stretch. Uh, have you seen all of the Walking Dead? Oh. No,
1: actually, um I need to catch up with it. But I, I kind of fell away from it. I suppose Tales Tales of the Walking Dead, interestingly enough, is probably designed in a way to kind of pull in fans of the, the general universe that maybe have become a bit bored with the the bigger story that was going up like the the narrative that's been running all this time. So you can you can dip into this if if you enjoy the zombie universe and you like the sto- the general sort of the world the world building aspect, then you can dip into Tales of the Walking Dead and watch that. And it's very fresh. I think it's a great show so far.
2: I really do. Um, Does it feel like a yeah. genuine attempt to kind of um, stretch the mm-hmm. universe, or is it more of a kind of cynical one of these sort of money making? We need to rake some. We need to squeeze some more money out of this series. Let's just rinse the life out of it.
1: Well I was concerned about that at the start when I heard of it but what I think they've realised is that people want to the most interesting part of a zombie outbreak is either the, the start of it, the part where the, the world is falling apart, that's, the people want to see lots of stories from then when it's just falling apart or while it's falling apart, that's the bit that you can relate to right, we can relate to that because we can all see the world around us and think my god well we, what would we do right so that's that that's there, right? And then there's also the far future aspect which I think is going to be addressed in episodes what's the world like fifteen years later, twenty years later, you know, that, that sort of world building future. The bit in between is the bit that's maybe not so interesting and that's what The Walking Dead has been. It's been this kind of endless walking around of desolation. But I do I I don't feel like it's a money grab. I feel like it's I feel like they've maybe listened to criticisms from the audience and they're trying to cater to a particular... I felt that way when I was watching it. I I, I kind of felt like a certain itch was being scratched when I was watching these episodes. I was like, hang on, I'm really intrigued by this. Uh, I like the fact that the normal world is still a bit there in some of these episodes. I like the fact that it's a wee bit weird and they can be a bit more risky with the storytelling because it's just one episode. I like the fact that we get to see the backstory of characters that we met further down the line. What were they like at the start, you know? So... I have no doubt that there is an element of let's get some more viewers here, or try to, you know, that, that's what the at the end of the day, that's what any TV show and movies all about. There's the got financiers in the background that want to make a return on their investment, yeah. blah blah blah, whatever. But I feel that whatever the reasoning behind it, they've actually come up with a really good product. Okay,
0: excellent. So in this case, that's the first few episodes of the first season of currently. I think is it uh, how many? Episodes? Is it? is it just? Is it just a new thing?
1: aha uh-huh, Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm uh... Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure how many episodes there's going to be. But yeah, um, exactly. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be able to give it. I wouldn't be able to give it any kind of rating at this point. I would just be able to say that I would recommend to watch okay. it because the the episode's been great so far. So we'll possibly have more to say on that,
0: maybe in the next one, a month from now, maybe. Okay, Tales of the yeah. Walking Dead. Uh, we'll keep on that. And House of the Dragon, uh, the first episode you have watched, this is the Game of Thrones prequel series. Uh, yep. What's <clears> your thoughts? Spoiler-free, of course. I know you know that anyway, but just as a reminder, because I really do want to watch yep. this.
1: Well, I... Went into this with a little bit of trepidation because mm. of the casting. There were some casting decisions that, <clears throat> to me, I was a bit puzzled by because I was thinking, like particularly with the Targaryens, I was thinking, hang on a minute, the Targaryens are, are basically white people with white hair, <laughs> like, but they'd cast a Targaryen as a black guy, a black person, right? And I was a bit confused by this. So I did a little bit of research into it. I was looking into it, and it you know, turns out it wasn't... Ru- it wasn't really a lore breaking casting choice i think george R.R. martin was involved with that in the process anyway so i thought all right oh, that's fine so but i was a wee bit concerned by that because i thought i wonder i wonder if they if they may be casting Retrospectively changing things, will they change other things that worked in the universe? I was a wee bit nervous about that. You know, will there st- would there be would there be storyline elements that would be changed? You know, would there be anything that I would watch that I would because I loved Game of Thrones. You know, so you're always going to be a wee bit nervous with a prequel when you're looking at casting and story elements. But I thought it was amazing. <laughs> and actually, the one of the stronger members of the cast was the guy that I had first noticed. Um, the actor that I had I had been puzzled by who was appearing at meetings and things like that, and I thought, this is a really strong character, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But the episode, I thought it was, you know, I I actually felt a sense of elation and joy watching the episode, because I was like, oh my God, Game of Thrones is back. The Game of Thrones world and the feeling of it is back. You know, it was perfect, 100% perfect, and... Funnily enough, after I watched the first episode, I went onto the Reddit forums to see what people were saying. And there was all these people who'd been nervous about it who were then coming on and going, Oh, thank God. This is great. They were all they were all really happy about it. But now, what I think was quite interesting was that a lot of the people that had trepidations about it were kind of dismissed as, as always, what's the words? Toxic fans, racists or whatever. But all these people... W- like and myself included actually were back there going, Oh my god, this was amazing. So it wasn't really so much that they were toxic, I think it was just nervousness because it was something it was a series that people have got such an emotional um attachment to. And I feel I feel like fan concerns are are, are dismissed so easily all the time. And and uh, y you, you know, the, the sort of nuance of these people coming back and saying everything, you know, that they enjoyed it. In the end, and they were relieved. Like it's never that's never a headline, is it? Fifteen thousand fans that were concerned about the show now love it. You never see that on the front page of
2: all the the clickbait articles, do you? You never see that. Um, so, but is the series enough to rescue? Because obviously, a lot of the um, sort of fans, um, I'm aware, because I was one of them, kind of got to obviously the end of Game of Thrones and thought. That was an absolute waste of time. What was that ending? That was it. Really, left a it left a bitter taste. I think I, I was so unhappy. Is this enough, at the end do you think of it. to rescue that then?
1: Yeah. Yep. Uh, I mean, I was unhappy with the end of Game of Thrones as well, but I mean, I accepted it as what it was. And I think the reason that the end of Game of Thrones, sorry, the end of Game of Thrones was bad was was that George R. R. Martin had never had not finished the books. And I think what happened was he was giving the story beats to the writers and saying this is generally what's going to happen, but it was all done. In a rushed way. I mean, it was, you know, like for for instance, Daenerys Targaryen's descent into madness to me was not realistic. Like there was there was other things that just seemed mad um, that were not satisfying. But this show, all of the best bits from your kind of mid run of Game of Thrones, that feeling of the the intriguing political meetings and the the sort of what's going to come next. Do you know what I mean? Like the kind of slower pace of the story is there. I think you will love it. Yeah, you will love
0: it. The thing with Game of Thrones, um, so yeah, there's obviously a lot of things you can point at that are quite obvious. I think the the main were they oh, forgetting their names, the directors and the main the main showrunners were sort of given the keys to I, the I feel, Star Wars I feel, films. I feel they, bad they were, for them. Yeah, they were. I think they were going to get a trilogy or something, and so they kind of felt they had to rush through Game of Thrones to get to that. And I think they never got the Star Wars films. I think. Uh, but I think also.
1: I don't know, I mean, I, the story would have ended when it ended, but I think I think what happened was that they could never be George R.R. R. Martin, and they didn't have the source material to rely on, and he gave them the beats. So I think the story would have played out the way that it did, but just at a different pace.
0: Yeah. If um, that makes sense. The thing about the Game of Thrones' so success, though, is the world building and the the obviously characters and so many things that make it great i could list it all you know chemistry and c- casting all those things music everything but the main intrigue that you've said is what has you know got you back that's in this is because it's not having to conclude the story this is setting things up again which has always been the strength so the the ending of a sort of thing like game of thrones which was always Every season ended with more intrigue. There was never really a f- real conclusion. There was always something to be followed and so then, to have to end the full season with that final conclusion and make give things the the kind of the hollywood style happy ending or tie up all loose ends kind of thing doesn't fit with Game of Thrones and that's where it, it, it yeah. just didn't it didn't just yeah. didn't work like <clears throat> so you know th- it'll be interesting to see how they end this if they can do it but maybe with the how the backlash from that they'll be very careful
1: with that Well I, I think Game of Thrones should have ended maybe an episode earlier with them all burying everybody and then and then a bit of a what if ending Like I think Game of Thrones could have done with a what if ending where we, it was left to our imagination a little bit what happened and I hope they do that this time around but at the end of the day we're going to have at least another 7 or 8 years of the Game of Thrones universe and you know we're going to be in our mid 40s feeling a slightly upset when that's over you know and i'm i'm there for it i mean i i, I the, the new episodes out tonight i'm going to have, obviously get a, you know watch that tomorrow i think i could i could watch it tomorrow i believe i've got my way of getting a hold of it and watching it but <laughs> you know i am looking forward to that i'm quite excited uh to watch the next episode and the thing is like you know, like to go back to the casting choices and some of the the stuff people were worried about with the lore. Like, like I will give things a chance, and I will love them if they're done well. Like, like regardless, and I loved it. Like, and do you know I was so pleased to to see the fandom embracing it as well because there was a lot of comp. There must have been about there was sixteen thousand replies on the Reddit thread, and there was. Every bit of it, when I was scrolling down, was I was a bit nervous beforehand. I was a bit worried about that, but I loved it. I was a bit worried about it, but I loved it. I was a bit worried about it, but I loved it. And all of these people would have been dismissed as total cunts, right, on online by the, probably the showrunners themselves and everybody else. But they loved it. Like as soon as they saw the final product, they were like, "Yeah, this is great. Like I can believe it." Like, fans will fans will put aside lower problems if the show's good enough. Like. You know, you see it all the time. Like, for instance, in Breaking Bad, when Walter White blows up—remember when Walter White goes to see Tuco, and he has the bag of like uh, fulminated mercury, and he throws it down and blows up Tuco's lair, and then Tuco has to give him the money. In real life, if Walter had blown up that fulminated mercury, he would have been vaporized on the spot, right? But and and most fans probably knew that, and and anybody like watching that would think oh, that's a bit implaus- uh, implausible. But because they were bought into the story, they just brushed it aside. So fans will always be on your side as a showrunner or as a show if the product's good and that episode was a 5 out of 5 episode and I think it's boding, bodes incredibly well for I mean the the, the casting choices the, the music was incredible. The scenery like you're getting to see King's Landing at the height of its power you know, it's not a place with people walking about pouring like buckets of shit out their window onto the street and peasants. This is a city that's that's like that. It's almost like in the Renaissance period or something like that. It's incredible. Okay. Like you will love it. Excellent. I would 100% recommend it. So, five. Well, it's only you've only seen one episode. So, again,
0: it's not really a review as such, but certainly a strong recommendation so
1: far. Well, I would give the episode a five out of five because okay. that episode yeah. was. was I mean, I watched it twice. Like, I watched it once and then I watched it again because I was so amazed by how good it was. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So I'll, in fact, I'll give it a 10 out of 5 because I watched it
0: twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just going to very quickly give my thoughts on Stranger Things Season 4. I uh, have now watched that season. But I think we've spoken about Stranger Things on maybe one or possibly two of these episodes um, when Scott... Watched them maybe yourself as well, Fran. Have you you've seen it? I take yep. it. Um, so I watched it recently and I now know the uh Kate Bush song <laughs> Running Up That Hill. Um, <laughs> which by the way, it's, it's really good. Like, it's I've heard the placebo cover and I always like that, but now I like the original uh more. Um, and what a chosen, what a well chosen song for for the show! Like, it's just you know, I want to know what inspired that, but it, it's it's really good overall. I had initially, I wasn't sure if I was involved. I liked the comedy of the series, the season. Maya Hawke's character really kind of annoyed me a little. She's clearly the comic relief. That's your thing. You're bringing comic relief. You got to say something that's funny and witty, and in this kind of grave situation, and it kind of aggravated me a little. Um, but. She has a couple of moments at the end which I actually liked. The more the show went on, the more I enjoyed it. Uh, they really concluded it fantastically. The episodes are long, like they're essentially like eight or nine like films, film lengths kind of stuff. Like most of them are an hour and twenty minutes. The final one is two hours twenty minutes. Um, you know, so that's like you know film
1: length. Yeah, it's, uh, I
2: mean, I, I did
1: find at times when I was watching it that. I enjoyed it, and I really really did enjoy it, but there would be points where I'd be like, get on with it. Like, A little come on, definitely. That's, I could feel like, oh, this is why, you know, the, the,
0: this sort of stuff would have been cut in the sort of traditional 45-minute episodes from the previous seasons. Like, you know, they've obviously thought, well, we've got another half hour to play with, so, yeah, let's have this moment.
1: I but, mean, the the Soviet stuff, like, the you know, there'd be bits where they were running about these camps, and all that. it's like, come on, like, you know.
0: That is where, you, I, yeah, I, I did think... I think that the show might have too many characters, and it's obviously wanting to give everyone's perspective and let other people get the limelight and see how the chemistry works when they're suddenly with another character and stuff like that. Similar to how Game of Thrones did it, when it would mix up the pot and have other characters interacting and stuff like that, but it did get to a point where you're actually... You know, it would switch to someone and you, uh, the the other group's perspective, and you're a little bored with the whatever's going on with that group. Uh,
1: yeah, I'd be like, I want to go back to such and uh-huh. such. Like, I want to see their bit. Yeah. But did you notice the bit like to go to the end of it? Like, did you notice how they're setting up for like a enormous conclusion? I mean. It's almost like a changed world. Yeah,
0: so that is going to be... It doesn't feel like how can they have the tone of the usual... I guess mostly they're light comedies. It's almost like Terminator or something. Yeah, like it feels...
1: After Skynet.
0: Like yeah. without... Let's not give anything else away, but it's certainly like a world-changing type sort of final reveal, so it's a bit strange to, to wonder how they're going to capture the sort of light-hearted... 80s romp feel of the of the season of you know of the earlier episodes in a world where things are very drastically different um, but yeah so I thought you know and some of the new characters i really liked uh, I think the main hit that everyone loves is the Eddie character um, the sort of 80s hair metal you know type and, yeah, there's some good stuff in it, and
1: overall... Is he
2: the reason why everyone's now talking about Metallica again? Yeah,
1: Uh You know, and I spoke to my uncle about this, and I was like, ugh, you know, kind of... I thought the Metallica didn't work you. well. Well, I don't know, I didn't mind that, but I think the thing that irritates me, and it's always irritated me, is... Oh, God, I don't know how to describe it. It's It's like when there's hundreds of folk that thought it was a load of shit, suddenly are like, oh... Have you heard this song? It's like, oh, for fuck's sake. It's like, oh, for, just leave me alone. You know, just just go back to your Facebook feed or whatever it is that informs your decisions. You know, like, it, it kind of irritates me slightly. It's like, I, I mean, I do understand that people discover things, but when it's people that laughed and went, oh, what's that shit? And then they're all talking about it. It's like, oh, fuck off. You know, I, you're so- it's like you <laughs> have literally zero personality at all. Wow. Like, I, I you know, see if enough people said, that you should stick your toilet, toilet your toothbrush down the toilet and then brush your teeth you would do it i mean like you have that little willpower in your brain that whatever was suggested by the loudest voice you would just you know, I I I don't think it's even the fact that it's Metallica. I think it's the fact you could have replaced Metallica with SpongeBob SquarePants or something and they would have all done it. Do you know what I mean? It's like So what, what is it someone in your feed who's like,
0: you know, someone who's like a granny or something that's now talking about Metallica? Like is that what you're annoyed at? That they don't they didn't like it before or something? Like what is I
1: it? I would never I would never say who or anything like that, but it's but I'll put it this way, it's not just me. I mean I, I have I mean I'm a big Reddit user. I've seen thousands of posts about people saying, my bully that used to put my head down the toilet in high school for listening to metal is now listening to master puppets. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's ridiculous. I would it's say, kind of, it's, maybe you, it's should just, bit... you should just get off
0: Reddit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's I do I don't know. Like, like,
1: like, I, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's one of those things. I, I guess it's, it's an inevitable, uh, it's an inevitable, what's the word? consequence of these sorts of shows were but you know what as much as it's irritating it is good that people are being introduced to new music so there is an element of great finally these people get it like this is a good song right so there is that side of it as well like i'm i'm more kind of magnanimous with it i suppose in the sense that i could be annoyed by it and then say well good that they've listened to the song and they like it but that being said well i'm probably just before you move on to another
0: point like i'm the type of person that i missed Running up that hill uh-huh. from Kate Bush,
1: so I'm probably that uh, person now who's saying, "No, no, 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 no," because you wouldn't have pissed, you wouldn't have pissed on somebody's parade years ago. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot of people who are who who are genuinely were unaware, who are getting introduced to great music now, which is brilliant. So that's a, that's a a separate thing. So, um, I would never be annoyed by that because, I mean, there's even today, like, I'll I'll come across things that I've not heard before that are from twenty, thirty years ago, uh, through some various means, but. You know, that's that's natural. I'm talking about people that would have like, you know, given somebody a wedgie and stole their lunch money, and called them a dweeb for liking stuff. Suddenly being the biggest fan, that's an entirely different thing.
0: Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe I just don't engage or even care for the type those types of people to get annoyed at their likes and dislikes. I
1: suppose. Um, but yeah. Well, okay. Well, let's not exaggerate it. I mean, you know, my sort of preaching can come across as quite passionate but we're talking about me having a moment of mild irritation yeah yeah fair <laughs> like, enough Like me having a moment of mild irritation can lead to me preaching in a way that other people would not do like okay. I, I'm, I'm I'm, just like that but um, I think it's great like my sisters like they will notice things like they'll be like oh that's a good song and then we'll end up talking about it um, or other people as well that you know they'll be like oh I quite like that and I'll say oh well why don't you listen to this now and then there's all these great conversations come out of it so there's it, there's endless benefits to it as well, along with some slight mild irritation. Okay. So I'd say 80, 80% good, 20% bad. So just to finish up on actual the thing we were talking about <laughs> before this
0: massive tangent, Stranger Things season four. That's what you bring me in here for, Steve. Like that's why I'm here. Before uh Have you seen Stranger Things?
2: I haven't. No, no. not at all. Are you,
0: um, do you think you're interested in being. Uh, it's an 80s themed, well, not 80s nostalgia. What's it in the 80s as well? Does it. Does any of that? Yeah,
2: see, is? I don't know. It's it's like I suppose it's it's the sci-fi kind of element that right. slightly puts me off because it's it's generally not my bag. Right. But my wife watched and she absolutely loved the first. I don't, she definitely watched the first couple of series, and she really enjoyed it. So I suspect I may end up watching it kind of secondhand. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I'm definitely intrigued by it. So many people enjoy it, and there's such a big sort of um, I mean, the fandom around it. It's crazy. I've been to, you know, the amount of Stranger Things themed bars and stuff that I've been to. Mm. There's just such a big, the fact that there's a sort of hype around it Where really makes bars? me intrigued. There was one, there was a, a pop-up. This I think this might actually have been pre-COVID. In fact, it must have been pre-COVID because it was pre-baby because I was in a bar. But it was a pop-up bar in Edinburgh that was doing these drinks- It's a a bar that kind of changes its theme every six weeks. It was a Game of Thrones bar at one point. I went to that, and then it changed and it became a Stranger Things bar. And it had themed drinks from the show, and there was sort of they dressed the um, the bar up with scenes from the show and stuff like that. And stuff was upside down, which apparently meant something. And um, it it just it's there's a lot of fun around it. Yeah, and the idea of being a part of that actually sounds really cool. So I I completely get the hype, and I can see why people would want to be involved in that and if if it's around a TV show that's legitimately enjoyable then it's I'm all for it
0: yeah like there's elements of things you see in it like it pays homage really obvious homage to the Spielberg kind of era the sort of those Amblin films the sort of um you know, because they've got different sets of cast. There's the younger cast that are now growing up through the seasons and they look much older as the years and are going on. And they actually
1: did really well with de-aging at some points, didn't they? Okay, well, yeah,
0: I think so. I mean, I, I don't you know. Do remember
1: I, um, Eleven was made to look really...
0: Yeah, oh yeah, there was some, because a young girl essentially has now, she's 18, but they've got scenes of her when, as a flashback when she was like six or seven or something, maybe eight. And yeah, yeah. so they've done well to... I mean, you can tell, but, you know, it's still, it's not very, it's very well done. It is actually quite convincing. I actually thought for a while they just had a different actor who looked like her. Uh, so, but they've obviously done quite a, a fair bit. I think, I think the, they had the a body
1: double and they put the face on. Yeah. I think that's probably that's what they did. That's
0: probably what because you can't, the technology, you can do things like that now. And it looks great. The show looks fantastic. It's got a great vibe. It's got a great um, theme song. Like it's, captures that uh mid-80s so well um just the general aesthetic and yeah like the writing has sort of a stephen King vibe you know like with you know stories from from kind of his older horror books um so there's all that going on and the music side of it as well it's cool so and it's kind of um you know, it doesn't. It's not like riffing pop culture. It's obviously written to be set in the eighties. So they're t- they're dressing as the Ghostbusters because the Ghostbusters are huge at that point in eighty five or eighty four. Um, when when the season's set, but obviously for our point of view, it's paying homage to something we know and have dressed up as for decades and things like that. So- Funnily
2: enough,
1: ten years later.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's cool. I would give it a four. Um, I don't think it's fully there. A little some pacing issues, just couple of little things logic issues with some stuff um but overall it's very very i, I would say actually all of them are four stars i don't think I would, I would have given any of them a full five but like they're all consistently well made shows and they're they're engaging and i did want to watch the next episode although the runtime looking at them was a little off putting but um yeah so four stars for stranger things four uh right fran I want to hear about Star Trek: Lower Decks, uh, season three, uh, first episode.
1: Okay, so Lower Decks returns. Lower Decks is an animated show. It's been out for two seasons, and it's a sort of a Rick and Morty style comedy set in the Star Trek universe. Which is really, you know, when I first when it first came out, I was skeptical. I was like, "Oh my god, what's this going to be like?" But it's been a joy to watch, and it's it's great. It's just it's kind of wild humor. But it's plausible. It's kind of like Shaun of the Dead. Basically, the premise is that we're following the lower rank crew members on one of the worst starships in the fleet. I do so like this concept. That is great. So, like, it's kind of like Red Dwarf as well. It's like the, This the 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 four main characters are sort of mediocre, low ranked officers on, as I say, on one of the ships that does the kind of drudgery. So it goes around doing missions that you know, are really boring or or like just not, you know, not, there's no prestige at all. But obviously there's been storylines that have built up over the previous two seasons. But Lower Decks is very much, it's, it references loads of things from 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s Star Trek. So it's, again, it's interesting to segue from Stranger Things onto this because it it's very much a nostalgia trip for anybody that was a fan of Star Trek through those eras or enjoys those eras of Star Trek retrospectively. Um... I'm quite pleased to say that it's dropped a little bit of the, pardon me, it's dropped a little bit of the sort of slapstick toilet humor that it had, which I think is something that you see in the Orville as well, which I watched and I've talked about on the, on the podcast that you, you find with these shows that they, they sort of, they have more kind of uncouth humor at the start. And then they kind of mature as the show goes on when the characters are more established. Uh, I thought it was a really good episode. It was a good return. Um, and I would highly recommend watching the series because I think that weirdly enough, like Steve McCall, you say you're not a big sci-fi guy, but I think that something like Lower Decks would be a good gateway into watching Star Trek for you because it would be it's quite casual. You don't and it gives you a lot of info world building wise because it's it's referential. So you'd be like, oh, what's that? I wonder what that is. What's that species they're talking about? What's this thing? You know.
2: Yeah, as a concept, I've got to say it does sound more appealing than the straight-up uh, sort of idea of Star Trek. This idea of almost sort of going, pulling back the curtain and going to where the because there's always more interesting stories to be found, mm-hmm. I imagine lower down the ranks. So it it does it sounds and it sounds sort of a bit more humour-filled perhaps than classic Star Wars. Uh,
0: how much uh, episodes are in the the se- the previous
1: series? I think it's like 10 or 12 episodes. It's not that many. I mean, it's, you, you know, it's not a... It's not like a well, classic 22-episode well, Simpsons well, type no, thing? No, no shows do that anymore, really. I mean, you tend to get your... Most shows nowadays are 10, 12 episodes, really. Like, you know, they're high-quality episodes. Um, but I think that the, certainly the, the animation quality and the voice acting... You've got that guy Quaid, what's his name, that was in The Boys... You know the boys? Avonlees,
0: uh, I mean, Quaid, I'm thinking Randy or Dennis Quaid, but is it someone else?
1: Yeah, um, he's voicing uh, one of the main characters. Den, uh, what's his name again? I can't remember. It's not really that important, but I guess what I'm saying is is that you've got talent that are on other big-name TV shows right now that are involved with this, okay. this show, and you've got the pedigree of the Rick and Morty side of things. Um, one of the creators of Rick and Morty is... It was his sort of brainchild, this show So it's really a visual feast as well In terms of what you see The animation is second to none Like it's really, really detailed And music's incredible It's like a full orchestral score for Mm. every episode So it's great Excellent, what would you give this? this Um, I'd give it a four out of five I mean, there was a couple of missteps in the episode You know, there was a couple of moments where we're like "Mm," Kind of slipped back into the daft humour Right, okay but yeah, still, still like yeah, th- recommend. Think, think red dwarf episodes where you've got they're brilliant most of the time at certain points and like certain seasons, but they'd always kinda of slip up a wee bit and go back to the the daft stuff. Yeah. Okay. You know, it was never perfect.
0: Uh before we go what what's this on again? Is it on Netflix or is it on Amazon or something?
1: Uh Amazon Prime. Right, cool. Yep. So you can watch it on there. We're plugging Amazon. Jeff Bezos, give us our bonus. Thank you. Might as well tell people where we can actually find the stuff. Oh, well, Jeff Bezos, as you know, is a fan of Captain Picard. That's why he now is bald. Jeff Bezos, because <laughs> that's how that works. He's, yep. Yep. He's a fan of <laughs> Patrick Stewart, so he's shaved, He's not actually bald, Jeff Bezos. He just shaves his head to look like Patrick Stewart. Okay. So
0: well, he, thank you for that, friend. It's a little-known fact. Yeah. Yeah. Very little known. Uh, Final thing for this section, the TV section, you have seen the finale of Better Call Saul. I'm hearing good things about this, Fran, uh, without going to any spoilers either, because I've still to watch pretty much all of Better Call Saul. I think I've seen the first couple of episodes. What's your thoughts on how this has finished up
1: uh, one of the best finales for any show I've ever seen, Um, I, 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 uh, quite an emotional viewing for myself because I think I'd mentioned this earlier on, like, in the green room before the start of the podcast, we were talking about how, you know, I, I sort of remembered sitting with you and Mark in, uh, in your house talking about Breaking Bad, like, what, 12 10-11 years ago um, and Better Call Saul very much was a continuation of that universe also I've got personal links to it in the sense that um, I started watching Better Call well I watched Breaking Bad with, or a big part of it, with an ex of mine and then we watched the start of Better Call Saul, we watched Better Call Saul together until we split up, so when I would left for me Better Call Saul was like a kind of a thread of that universe that, that sort of went over a huge period of time. So the end of it was kind of like cutting the cord of a link to the past, I suppose, in a sense. And funnily enough, again, on Reddit, on the, the uh, Better Call Saul subreddit, there was a lot of users saying the same thing. That they were like, you know, this show has been, with, or this universe has been with us since 2008. And, you know, they were prior to the episode airing, they were worried about how it was going to be wrapped up. Was it going to be satisfying? And I do think it was one of the best concluding episodes of a TV show ever. Now, Steve McCall going back to Game of Thrones and the unsatisfying ending there. This was the polar opposite of that. This was an ending that it tantalised you with things that it didn't show, and it, it was
2: almost so satisfying it left you wanting more.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, it left it left the audience with enough material to to wonder about what really happened in the end, in the the future, so that you could imagine yourself, you know. And also, in a way, there's that sort of religious idea. The Catholic Church always says death is not the end, that kind of idea. Too much finality is a bad thing. You need to be able to imagine something more, you know. And I think there's that sort of human need that goes beyond or a, a little bit deeper, than than just the theory of writing and that sort of idea, and and it definitely did that, and and again that made the Reddit thread really interesting because everybody was saying was coming in there to say this is what I think happens next, this is what I think the, end, the you know the, the ramifications of the events are, but uh, you know it was a swan song, and again no spoilers, it was a swan song for the for the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul universe, it was the last time that we will see certain people on screen ever after 16 years of tv or whatever it is no is it 16 years it would no it's um uh 14 years of television you know and a lot of people like there was people posting on there saying you know when i started watching breaking bad years ago um i was starting university and now i've got two kids (laughs) like but they've gone through all those all of that life all of those events with this you know with this show there was people posting things like what am i going to do now i have been so invested in these characters for such a long time like mourning the end of it you know and that that's all of those human reactions i think i don't know if there's any any rating or anything that you could give to a show that would be more telling than that in terms of the quality of it the impact that it had on people and the fact that the conclusion left people with a kind of a it was almost like a person had died you know, you know, it, like that to me is indicative of something that was the pinnacle of TV writing.
0: Okay, well, so take talking specifically about the final season, we'll call it. What would you give that final season as a as a rating?
1: I mean, it's going to be a five out of five. Yeah, and and funnily enough, the final season felt like two seasons. I mean, it wasn't split, but well, it was split. But the split w- wasn't where it seemed like a split. Like this, the final season. The first few episodes felt like they happened years ago by the time you get to the end. So well done. But yeah, I'd give it an absolute, a, well, in fact, I'd give the entire series and obviously with Breaking Bad as well, five, just a five out of five. If there is one TV show that you watch in your entire life, or let's say right now that you've got 18 months to live or something and you have one TV show to choose to watch, that's that's the universe to go into. Breaking bad and better also.
0: Okay. Strong recommendation. Another five. We're actually uh this has been a very successful month for our viewing. Uh it's only been myself that's given a couple of Three stars to the to the films I've watched. The rest has been fours and 5s So
1: you're you're just too harsh.
0: Yeah, that's what it is. Um. So yeah. Uh. I, why uh,
1: why don't you review
0: Dundee United's performance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's got sounds like a one star if I, if the nine nil score that's been flashed up on my phone is correct for Celtic. Um. Okay. So that will conclude our TV section. We will now quickly review some of the uh, older things we've watched this month. Um. I'll start with Sicario. This is a film that I loved when it came out in 2015. And yeah, I re- reviewed that recently. Not reviewed as in I wrote a review. I just revisited it, let's say. And yeah, still holds up. Still fantastic. Fantastic uh, direct. Are Denis Villeneuve and cinematographer Roger Deakins this was a film I think he should have maybe got an Oscar for, I think the cinematography in this film is incredible, Um, there's amazing a lot of fantastic shots, there's a, an intensity in this film uh, that I think is, is almost unmatched in a lot of stuff. I mean, the story is it's quite a basic story, uh, the drug cartel type thing, but I think it's done really well, uh, the sort of fish-out-of-water story um, where Emily Blunt's character is kind of sort of asked to join this sort of almost Black Ops-style mission uh, without really any clue as to what the real story, it's, what's what's really going on. And, and as the audience, we are really seeing things from her perspective and it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, great supporting cast. Uh, Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro, really intense character. So yep, I still loved it. So, great set pieces and uh, the score and things like that still did a lot for me. So I would give my revisit of Sicario five stars and Come and See. Sorry, who is it? Fran, did you see this?
2: Yep,
1: I did indeed. So <clears throat> Come and See. It's a dark one. It's a 1985 Soviet anti-war film. Obviously set during World War II. And it is probably one of the most disturbing war films ever. Um, and it, it's probably, and it has been considered to be one of the greatest films of all time. Basically. So it's it's got surrealism. Um, it's got psychological horror. It is all about um Nazi atro- atrocities um inflicted in Eastern European villages, and you follow this young uh, boy, basically, and he joins the Belarusian resistance movement. And the things that you see in this film are just unbelievable and there's all these shots of people's faces like the camera looking directly at their face and they're looking directly into the camera and it's showing their emotions and, and like with their expression and this this young boy throughout the film i don't know how they managed it but he starts out the film as a young boy but by the end like his face is all lined like just worn completely by the experience of the war and and the things that he's seen um I mean, for instance, one of the one of the scenes is he, he he's in a, a, a small village and everybody's there and they get pictures taken with the people that are in the village and all that, the resistance, everybody's all happy. And then he comes back, the place has been burned to the ground and he finds one of the girls he spoke to earlier who'd been gang raped by Germans. Do you know what I mean? Oof. And there's just this long scene of them both crying there, like him standing there and her sitting on the ground. And it just switches between their faces. You know, like just their expressions. And it's just relentless. It's, uh, you know, to call it an anti-war film is a- absolutely accurate because you watch this film and you're like, hang on a minute. This is really, there's no narrative to this film. It's just following what he's experiencing as this is going on. And the ho- absolute unbelievable, ho- I mean, you've got scenes where they've got children digging up bodies to get things of value off of them and things. I mean, it's just, there's no there's no holding back when it, the film is called "Come and See," and I think that that uh, you know, that's the, the almost playful beckoning to you. It's like you know, you want to know what this is like. Mm. Well, this is what it's like. Yeah. Like this is the un, you know, the, the 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 sort of unfiltered truth. And and the thing about it though is, this is a fucking film, right? So this film being as horrifying as it is, is actually a filtered version of the truth. So you can only imagine what the reality would be. When was it released again? Uh nineteen eighty-five. But it was um, censored for years. All oh, right, okay, years and years and years uh for eight years it was censored uh and the film was finally put out, but it was just you know it's one of the most important films ever put out in terms of the, the you know the- the cinematography the achievements that that are there in terms of what it conveys the the um the potency of this film in terms of getting across the the horror of that's that that environment. What you know, what what these people were experiencing.
2: So, who was it censored by, and why was it the content or was it the messaging? <clears throat> um,
1: I think it was. I think it was more. I think it was the content rather than the messaging, because the Soviets were quite pos- positive with films coming out that denigrated the Nazis and made the Soviets have some sort of heroic resistance against them. But I think it was the content. You know things like the the gang rape scene, and you know animals that are rotting away, and you know just people being burned alive inside. But bil- you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not. This is not a propaganda film. It's not a grand Soviet victory film. I mean, this is just a horror movie, start to finish.
2: So, I mean, who was it made by? Was it? Because it, I mean, it's it sounds like the kind of thing that the Soviets or the the Russians or whatever would put out as the kind of, um, you know, the the West is terrible. We were great. Type thing, but it it sounds like this is maybe bordering slightly more towards the neutral sides than the complete sort of propaganda end of thing.
1: Well, I I I think the co- the content of the film is so brutal that it it's just it's just a disturbing film. It's a disturbing film, and I think you know it didn't. I think if it had some grand like cavalry march from the Soviets over the hill to beat the Nazis, that would have been released. But it wasn't like that. It was following a peasant, you know. And it did show, I suppose, the Soviets coming along and, and dragging these boys out of their homes to go and fight. So they're, they're, it was kind of unfettered realism. You know, it wasn't nobody, were, there was no heroes. They were Yeah. You know, it was just absolute horror. But it was um, directed by a guy called Elam Klimov. And I'm trying to remember the author, a guy called Adamovich. Uh, but yeah, it was eight years of censorship before it could be released. Basically, but it was released in the Soviet Union, so obviously they were cautious about it. But they did put it out. So credit, to, you know, one of the rare moments of credit to a horrible regime like the Soviet Union. But you know, the film came out in the end. But then again, nineteen eighty-five. That was getting towards the, the the era of Perestroika, anyway.
2: Yeah, I'm
1: but it's a fascinating. It it's a fascinating film. I would, I would, I would highly recommend watching it. It's, it, you know, we're kind of going. We're, we often talk about films that are more for that are more sort of general consumption. This is one of those this is one of those sort of seminal lesser known by the general audience, you know. But is but is classed as one of the greatest films of all time. And that's a quote, <laughs> you know, I've I've, I've you kind know, of researched into it as well. I researched it before I watched it. And I was careful before I watched it. Like I was a bit nervous to watch it.
0: This feels redundant asking you, but is this a five-star film? I take it, given some of the things you've said.
1: Unquestionably, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it it surpasses the medium of film. All right, so it that's tran- that's probably it, not it, a free then. <laughs> no, I mean it. It transcends. It's it's as important as a film like Citizen Kane. It's it's it trans. It, without a doubt, all of the best directors in the world today and uh, since nineteen eighty five will have watched this film. Okay. And been informed and been informed in some way by it without a doubt. Like like the opening of Saving Private Ryan, for instance, I have no doubt the brutality there was in some way informed by this. Hmm. Yeah. And, and the, any war film after nineteen eighty five.
0: Okay. Uh, you've also seen Apocalypse Now, keep into a kind of war vibe, and what was your revisit of Apocalypse Now like?
1: You know, it's interesting because Apocalypse Now uh, came out. When was that That came out again 1979 yeah, I thought so. You're talking You're talking about Six years before So it's kind of It's interesting Because Come and See It was right about The same time I was looking into that That I thought I'll watch Apocalypse Now again Because That examination Of the Vietnam War Was coming out Round about the time That Come and See Was being put together I believe Or you know Or was being censored Yeah Or whatever Round about that sort of time And It's interesting actually that Francis Ford Coppola managed to completely independently come up with something that is an analogue obviously it's not as brutal and it has more comedic aspects to black bleak humour a bit more of a narrative to it but there's a but there's an, an, an analogous sort of thing on here where there's a a, a a brutal exploration of of war and this kind of apocalyptic theme and this idea of the total breakdown not only of society but sanity you know where where the things that hold us together inside our own minds are broken apart and there's a regression which you've seen come and see as well but you see this in Apocalypse Now a regression to an almost I don't know how to describe it a sort of a, a savagery a sort of sacrificial society you know um, a, 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 an abandoning of technology a sort of a reduction of the human being down to its animalistic core. A sort of the strongest will survive, and the rest will bow down. You know, and and, and murder is the murder, and and brutality are the currency by which we ascend in in, our, in in this social order. I feel like I'm getting really philosophical on this this podcast, but um, watching Apocalypse Now after Come and See was really interesting because it does make me believe in the idea of a sort of a. A human subconscious, uh, a shared human subconscious, because this came out around about the same time as Come and See. It's but they would never have interacted. It's really interesting, that isn't it? That idea that people around the world might have had similar thoughts at similar times, you know, without even having met one another. But um, I did find the film to be a bit of uh, Come and See's a five out of five because it transcends the medium. I feel like this th- this film, as amazing as it is, failed a little bit. It's at times a little languid. It is. And I think is. Yeah. I think is well at the end. I think it's. I think it's the fact that as the the film gets to its most interesting part and then drops it. Mm, yeah, it's quite right.
0: a brief thing, isn't it? The
1: the end interaction, yeah. I suppose. Well, you get this idea of you know a transcendent new god. And then he walks down the steps and gets on the boat and leaves, and that's it. It's just done. Like there's no real exploration further of that, and it's just kind of.
0: Steve, like... have you seen Apocalypse Now? I don't want to say too much. Uh...
2: No, so I I haven't. It's one of those classics that I've heard about but I haven't actually seen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's.
1: Well, I don't want to say too much. Yeah,
0: though. yeah. Like it's, let's not say too much, but it's definitely. I would definitely. It's definitely worth seeing to uh to make your mind up on it. I mean it's it's infamous for its difficult shoot it's one of those kind of uh, classic stories of what could go wrong went wrong when making that film um from drug addiction issues to all sorts of tropical i think storm. I'm not
1: surprised yeah i mean I, and i think some of that comes across in the film yeah it's like a really hallucinogenic the fever,
0: yeah uh, my god yeah you know a fever dream i mean it's i love it and, but you do have to be in the mood to watch a film like that because it is again quite challenging at points.
1: You know, it's funny because it starts out kind of like a normal film in some ways, like yeah. with the brief the briefing. is like, well, you gotta go and do that, you know, whatever. And then it just it spirals and spirals and spirals. And the thing is, like, I, I have no doubt that Vietnam had a, had an air of surrealism about it when people were there, but you really get this idea of of the situation being completely out of anyone's control. Hmm you know throughout the film it's like what are you doing oh well you know bulldozing and burning down like i mean there's this scene where you've got this attack like this this vanguard attack and then you know you've got all these helicopters firing missiles and whatever and you're like oh what's this attacking and then it switches to the other view and it's a bunch of like mud huts and rice fields just being blown <sighs> yeah. you know vaporized and napalmed into the ground and you're like what were they actually targeting yeah, yep. like any human being, you know, standing there working his field, getting missiled off the face of the earth, you know, just unbelievable. But then, <clears throat> then again, I don't, I do not feel that apocalypse now captured the horror in the same way as come seeded. Okay, all right. So,
0: okay, so you would give apocalypse now a four in retrospect. How did you know? Well, it sounds like that. If you're sorry,
1: I thought I actually thought you said it. Did you not actually say that? <laughs> Well, to subvert expectations, I'm going to. No, I would give it a four. Right. I would. Okay. Yeah, because it's, you know, there are a lot of good qualities to it, but it, yeah, it's a flawed masterpiece, I think, basically. Okay.
0: All right. So, keeping with the war theme, uh, Darkest Hour, you've also watched now. What's your thoughts on this?
1: Interesting documentary tracking, you know, throughout the year, the darkest bit of the night. Oh, okay. You know, um, obviously talking about how in summer it never truly gets dark you know then you've got darkness in the middle of winter talking about other countries where it's dark for half the year and then it's light for half the year you know um talking about the psychological aspect of darkness how it affects you you know wow you've taken this crazy facetious fisch- <laughs> fisch- <laughs> example quite far I was uh, waiting for Stephen Cole to react
2: <laughs> I, I was getting really because I, I googled it just as you said I was going I'm the fucker, what? I'm reading this is about Churchill what the fuck are you on about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you completely uh, yeah that that was like a that was a weird trip that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I should do it I just wanted to see what was happening
0: <laughs> so the Churchill film Darkest Hour 2018 Released, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was the first uh, <laughs> review I wrote for this website. I gave it a four out of five. I'm pretty certain. Uh, what's your What was your thoughts on this?
1: I enjoyed it. I thought it was a. I thought it was. It almost felt like the the sort of British version of the film Downfall. So you had Downfall, which, funnily enough, was about Hitler, and a, a, he him getting introduced to a secretary at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right? true, actually. Right, and then her you know, it's through her eyes. And I think a lot of this film was through the secretary's eyes. Um, I thought it was a charming film. I thought it was, it, you, know, it, it, you know, I'm not afraid to say that there were some parts of the film where I felt myself getting quite sort of, I don't know, roused by it, like in the sense of like patriotism. I was like, oh, actually, yes. I wish I was born back then and I could have stood there and gone, none of these bastards are ever going to get here. You know, like, you know, there's something very appealing about having the absolute knowledge that you're fighting for the right side mm-hmm. and that, that, that you're showing heroism in some way. And yes, I know that there are certain parts of the film that aren't real, and, and but I think it's it's the general brushstrokes of who Winston Churchill was. And, you know, it, it showed some of his flaws. It showed the fact that he was grumpy and he was, you know, old-fashioned and, and a little bit emotionally unstable and irrational. Uh, it didn't really... Go, you know, obviously... It didn't really address this, you know, but we all know Winston Churchill had some very old-fashioned views that maybe were, were nowadays, you know, we'd look at that and we'd think those are not very good. But I think that at the end of the day, that the film portrayed probably the truth of the matter, which is he was, thank God, the guy that was steering the ship at that time, and that for whatever the flaws he had, he was the linchpin around which Nazism was destroyed, you know, and I think that for that reason, you know, the guys the guy in my mind will always be up there as one of those, one of the most important or one of the most admired people in my in my mind, you know, it sounds stupid to say this, but it's almost like the Sean Connery thing where like you admire him for all of his greatness, but like you know there are things that are questionable, you know, you could say that about anybody really, couldn't you like, everybody's got flaws, but I think the film really portrayed the idea of someone struggling to he was struggling to be that person, and I think the film got that across as well. He had a lot of self doubt, yeah. and you know was worried about whether he could do it. And I think I think that humanises Winston Churchill a lot more than anything else. I think that's the thing that you look at it and you go, if I'd been in his shoes, I would have been worried as well. I, you know, anyone of my God, we would have been. I would have been shitting my pants if I was in his position, but. Yeah, I thought, it was a, I thought it was a really good film, and I think Gary Oldman did an
0: incredible job. Transformative. Actually, like, he's really, uh-huh. like, was well, obviously with all the prosthetics and everything, it was, yeah, incredible, uh, unrecognisable. And he, I
1: you think know, he, he won uh, the Oscar, I'm pretty certain, for that. And well-deserved. You know, the, the thing is, like, you know, watching the film, I was thinking back to last year when they were trying to pull down his statue, or two years ago. And I was just thinking, you know, watching the film and thinking back to that and thinking how ignorant people can be. You know because if if Winston Churchill had not been there, then it would have been worse. We would have had Hitler here, and there would have been no black people or Jews anywhere, you know, if not for this guy, so it did make me a little bit sad to watch the film and think I wonder what when like if there is an afterlife, I wonder what the guy would think now to look down and think that all oh, these people are calling him a scumbag, you know, like it was quite. I guess like retrospectively watching the film again after those events made me a little bit like I had a bit of an emotional response to it. Like I can understand why people would criticize him. But at the same time, you know, the alternative would have been so much worse. I mean, could you imagine if he had not been there to stand with all of his rough and readiness and all of his ignorance and all of his dogged determination to do what he did? If You know, and I think Gary Oldman really portrayed that. Like I, I didn't feel like I was watching Gary Oldman. I felt like I was watching Winston Churchill. Like I felt like a, you know, it was uh, that, for the film to have that emotional effect on me and to kind of get me thinking those ways, it had to be convincing. Yeah, you know? there was. I thought, it, I thought it was. I thought it was incredible. Yeah,
2: really.
0: Yeah, it was Joe Wright directed, it, um, and I think mostly captured because it's obviously it's a drama set in the war, so you're not seeing a war but you know just from the they're hunkered down in these bunkers and making all these decisions and these like dusty offices the the sort of but the the impact these decisions are going to have, you could feel it just in the interactions and the characters. Like, I love some of the, the interplay between the, the secretary, uh, Lily James's character. And, oh, she and was him. great. Yeah, she's fantastic. And I, and I think... And, and, like, you know,
1: as well, she, she, there was certain points where Winston Churchill took her to the board and was saying, this is the situation, what do you think we should do? You know, so he's got his secretary there and he's asking her, what do you think? And I could fully believe... That Winston Churchill would have done something like that. He would have said to somebody because he was drinking all day. I mean, he, he, you know, he was he wasn't exactly like you know up his own arse in terms of not not being able to ask someone's opinion. But I think she played that secretary perfectly. There was a particular part where she was revealing that her brother or somebody related to her was over uh-huh. there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was it was really really well done. Yeah. Like her, her her role was absolutely crucial to the film because it sort of it it gave the stakes and interesting as well interestingly enough it felt like a redemption story for Winston Churchill's character because there was a lot of reference to the mistakes he'd made in the past yeah, yeah was it Gallipoli talking... I think uh-huh. yeah. it was talking about things that he'd done and oh you know is he going to be able to do this or whatever and the fact that it was leading to another new disaster
0: yeah and the, the interplay between him and Ben Mendelssohn, they have these sort of, I don't know if it's weekly or bi-weekly meetings with the, the king of the time and uh, Ben Mendelsohn plays him. And I think there's some, in amongst the sort of seriousness and in the, in the sort of drama um, of the story, there's these kind of subtle humor moments with the sort of different, um, backgrounds between you know Churchill is a bit of a slob. He's you know smoking cigars and all that, and then you've got the Ben Mendelson is obviously playing you know royalty. He's you know sitting proper you know and things like that. And they the the interplay is
1: hilarious. I remember really enjoying it. So. Do you know what's amazing to me? Right, I'm just thinking about this the other day. The Queen, the now when Churchill was the Prime Minister again in the fifties, I think it was, mm-hmm. or he came back again for for another term. Our Queen right now that we have swore him in to do his job and then saw him go isn't that mental yeah. like for the like like when you think about that like I, I just kind of dawned on me when i was watching the film i was thinking it seems so remote now but you know there are people around today who who were adults at, you know who interacted with this person you know stephen delay good in the
0: film as well he's obviously stannis in game of thrones he's um
1: Halifax. In oh this yeah. Film. Halifax, yeah.
0: I mean, I don't think Stephen DeLane could play a good guy just from seeing him playing Stannis and in Halifax. He's so scheming. He's he's perfectly
1: cast in this film. Well, there was an element of Game of Thrones to it, and I think actually, um you've seen this in The Crown as well. Uh there's a kind of a uh cuz uh, is it Charles Dance has been in The Crown as well. He he's played a I character. Think so yeah. So you you've got you in these sort of British uh, political like older political or kind of um, shows that deal with the monarchy. You tend to find this sort of Game of Thrones thing is crept in, which is amazing. It's great, really, really good. Okay,
0: so you would give it. What did you give, Darkest Hour? Hmm. Bear
1: in mind, it's I, funny. because it I, I, I haven't
0: the first review for Capetian. It was a four star review.
1: Well, that's the thing because I've not I've not talked about the downsides of it. I mean, I, uh, I would it's... give it. A, yeah. I would give it a four because I think that there is at times an overabundance of, uh, what's the word? I think Sentimentality.
0: Yes, that's actually how I docked it for that. There's a section I don't want to give it away. Steve, have you seen Darkest Hour? Again,
2: not. No, I'm not.
0: There's a moment in the film that is completely fictional that doesn't happen. Apparently there were stories that Churchill would just, you know, saunter out of Parliament and just go on trains and meet with the public and things like that, but there's a there's no like one moment but the film fictionalizes a kind of him which is
1: okay but i know it's also... a,
0: the, the sentimentality the words you use is completely yeah. correct because it creeps in and it's a little almost cheesy how it's done uh and it breaks to me some of the the well-built up i don't know Re- realism yes that's what it is and so that I rubbed me the wrong way just seeing this scene that was a little overly done to make him make a you know, kind of then makes a final decision on something he's going to do because of some of the interactions with the crowd and i get the the sentiment behind the scene and i think it just might have i think it could have been written better and maybe i don't know it, it, it just kind of that was the moment where i was like ah didn't nah, that wasn't quite as good as the rest of this film so that was why I docked it a full star. But it's still a good film with great performances all around as in the cast. Uh, okay, last film, Fran. So you gave it a four for Darkest Hour. So I, again, still we're keeping with mostly fours and fives. The Other Guys, final film for today. Fran, you've revisited The Other Guys. What's your thoughts on this one?
1: <laughs> right, well, let me take you back a few years when I was with one of my exes and her mum and dad, right? and we were were sitting there thinking like they'd come to visit and we were like they were staying for the weekend and it was now that way when you get to a certain point point, you've done a few things it's like we'll watch a film together and we'll try to decide what to watch and we just stuck on the other guys right now (laughs) we were watching this film and it's a Will Ferrell film right so it's Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg playing cops and I was watching this and I was like I was slightly confused by it. I was kind of watching it. And at a certain point through the, through the, the watching of the film, my ex's mum started kind of laughing, and then I started laughing, and then we just could not stop laughing throughout the rest of the film, right? I think that the other guys might be quite possibly for me, right? Now, it's interesting, actually, because my ex and her dad didn't really laugh as much, but me and her mum did, right? So it obviously tickled us. I think it might be one of the funniest films I've ever seen, right? It's one of the wildest maddest comedies I've I've ever watched. It goes beyond the line so many times. Like, with what it does, it's got old ladies delivering lines of pure filth. It's got um, husbands trying to get their wives to sleep with another guy, like, chasing them down the street. It's got people committing suicide by accident. (laughs) Like... Wow. I don't even even know how to explain what what happened. (laughs) Like... I watched it again, obviously recently, just because I remembered it. I thought, hang on a minute, what was that film I watched that time when I couldn't stop laughing? I was, I was trying to find it. Right, I knew it was a Will Ferrell film, and I was looking through all those films, and I finally figured out which one it was. And I watched it, and I, I sat and laughed and laughed and laughed. Now I don't real, I'm not that kind of guy. Like I don't sit and burst out laughing at things like that. Like I'm not. But this film just, it just, it tickles me. Now the thing is, what what actually is interesting about it is that a lot of the things that are funny in the film were totally ad libbed. So Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg and the other characters, in fact the other actors that were there, they just shot scenes and, you know, whatever they said that was the funniest, they kept it, right? So there's this scene where Mark Wahlberg says something, like, hang on, let me just tell you, right? Um, hang on, I'm trying to find this to give you the example. <laughs> right, where is it? Uh, so Mark Wahlberg says... No, I don't like you. I think you're a fake cop. The sound of your piss hitting the urinal, it sounds feminine, right? If you were in the wild, I would attack you, even if you weren't in my food chain. I would go out of my way to attack you. If I were a lion and you were a tuna, I would swim out in the middle of the ocean and freaking eat you and I'd bang your tuna girlfriend, right? And then Will Ferrell's character comes back and says this (laughs) response, where he's like, well, a lion swimming in the ocean, lions don't like water. And then he goes into this whole thing about how the lion wouldn't survive in the water. And then by the end, he's talking about how the the, the tunas would have created an entire society to draw oxygen from the surface to attack the lions, right? It's just, you know, total insanity, right? But you're, the way it's delivered in the film is just like, I, I, I can't explain how I felt watching it the first time like when that was happening I was, I was just like what is this what is this what is this insanity um, that was probably during the Will Ferrell peak I think before uh, some of his shtick got a little old I think I mean the you know the fact that they sat the, you know Will Ferrell to ad-lib about a, a society of tuna creating technology to draw oxygen particles from the surface to attack land living species is just perfect to me um, I don't know like, I'd, I'd, I'd I almost can't talk about the film because I, there's so much of it that I feel would be spoiled if I tried yeah, to explain. Yeah, If it's like, it's yeah,
0: like, on a joke or or something that's funny on screen might not be quite as funny until you see it. Uh, uh, yeah. So what would you get? But like, in, but in terms
1: of the ad libbing, like I had to use that example just to be. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff uh-huh. that was being ad libbed in this film. I mean, it was like it, when when I realised or when I figured out later that those were ad libbed. It just actually goes to show how talented Will Ferrell actually is to be able to come up with something like that on the spot.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. You know? And Mark Wahlberg as well, because he started that off, um, obviously, with what he said. Um, But yeah, in terms of what I'd give it, I'd give it a five out of five. Oh, finishing off at five? Well... I don't think there... I don't actually feel that there's any... There's not really a part of that film where you're not laughing at what's going on. Like, for me, you know, and that's very rare for a comedy film. Like, see if you feel depressed, you feel a bit down... maybe your boss is giving you a hard time or you know you know me me and Steve maybe don't have to worry about this but uh, Steve McCall maybe I don't know you can't get enough sleep or something like that because you've got a young child there but put on the other guys that would cheer you up Okay final thoughts from fran on the other guys
0: five star comedy we haven't reviewed many comedy films actually so it's kind of interesting getting that in there as well well that rounds up this month's films guys so thank you for joining me um we will be back in a month's time Um, for the for the listener feel free to check out our other things if this is your first time listening to us Capiche dot online as our website that's K A P W E S H. our reviews and other podcasts are all there we also cover some tv stuff and games as well retro mostly and yeah there's lots of content there and other uh projects from the podcast we've covered all the bond films and star trek films so a lot of content out there over the last few years guys and this concludes this episode we'll be back in a month's time to talk about more film thank you guys again take care bye bye